All right, on that note, welcome back to episode four. Four of the podcast. Have I'm, we been recording this whole time? Yeah, we have been. Wow. We have been. I know. I always just start it recording the moment I sit down, just because I never know what's going to be discussed. Hmm. So, sitting Hi. here with Mr. Andrew Sears. Hello. Hello. Tell us about yourself, Andrew. I'm a composer, I guess. Um, well, studying composition. Say my... that Say that more confidently. I am a composer. There you go. There we go. There you go. The last three people I have talked to on this podcast, I'll be like, what do you do? And they'll be like, oh, I, I do this? I'm like, <laughs> do you? Because you're not very confident. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... That's kind of the problem, isn't it? Like, as students for four years, mm -hmm. we're, like, in this mindset of being a, in our career, but in a pseudo aspect, so we don't really um, identify uh -huh. fully as, hey, this is what I am. Even yeah. though when people say, like, what's your major, you're like, I'm a composition I'm major. Yeah, see if, you, see, if I asked you yeah. what your major was, you wouldn't have questioned it. Yeah, 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 I would have been like, yeah, I'm a composition major. Yeah. But no, I, yeah, I'm a composer. I there just, you, you know. Uh, I'm not of John Williams caliber yet, but we're no, getting there. But we're getting there. Are you putting music out? Composing um, music? Yeah, yeah. I've, there you go. Yeah, I've got I've got a few things you know up my sleeve. There you go. Composing. As it were. There you go. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, cur currently, just uh, trying to break into some of the music in industry, or sorry, the movie industry stuff. Okay. Uh, and uh, finishing school as best I can while also I feel trying that. to start my career. I feel that. But yeah, that's... I feel that. What got you into composing? Which is interesting because I don't even think I've asked you that outside of a podcast situation before. Yeah. Um, well, so I was taking piano since I was like six. Mm -hmm. I, I have been taking piano since I was six. And I hated it like everybody uh -huh. does. And... I took it every year except for my sophomore year in high school. And that year, my my parents like couldn't afford it or something like that. So I we like we didn't take it. And and I guess we had whined and complained enough that my mom was tired of fighting us on it. And so we, we didn't have piano for that one year, and that was my sophomore year in high school. And I realized that year how much I actually enjoyed piano despite how much I hated it, mm -hmm. which was funny because I, <laughs> I would find myself sitting down and like just kind of playing through chords and songs that I'd already learned um, and, you know, writing sort of really crappy, um, what's the, Paul's young, swearing. You can swear. Okay. Really <laughs> shitty um, singer, songwriter stuff. Um and for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a country musician because really? that was the only music <laughs> I felt like I could sing confidently to. I okay. felt like if I was going to be a musician, I was going to be a singer. You're going to be a, a singer. Yeah. All right. Um, but then I realized composition was a thing in that year. And then the very next year, we jumped right back into piano lessons. And I was writing a whole lot more. And the the big pivotal moment that all of that kind of built up to was this was this uh, sort of arts night at my little um, homeschool group had. Where, First like, off, shout out to the homeschoolers here. Right? Yep. Right? Yep. Um, <laughs> so it was like a tutorial of, of you know, maybe 100 kids. Mm -hmm. And um, they had like this arts night, uh, which is kind of like antithesis to like the band night or like the talent show. Yeah. Where you have like 
people doing dances and like classical music. And so I presented uh, a piece I had I had written, and I don't think anybody there knew I played music. <laughs> uh, so you shocked them. So I shocked them, yeah. yeah. And when I stood up uh, after my piece to take my bow, everybody was standing up and clapping. And I was really, really humbled by that, um, almost to the point where I started crying. But it was just this really, really powerful moment mm -hmm. for me. And that was when I just decided to do music um, and to, to more specifically write music. Yeah. Um, just And now you're hooked. Yeah. And now, <laughs> I, yeah, I've been hooked ever since. Yeah. And I just, you know, the last... That was your gateway drug. Yeah, it really was, though. It just kind of, I don't know, there's, because it wasn't a, I, I don't, maybe it was a prideful thing. Like, yes, I wrote this piece that moved I everybody. mean, there's a little bit of pride in but, everything that we do in the music and in the entertainment industry. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a little bit. Yeah. So. But, um, but it was also very humbling because it's like, there were people in that crowd that were teachers of mine that I looked up to mm -hmm. and I respected. Um, yeah. And for them to sort of honor me in that way was really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of turns the tables when you can do something that the people you look up to and respect aren't necessarily able to do. Yeah. In my opinion. Like, yeah. I know that, and unfortunately, I don't think of it the same way as you do. I don't look at it as humbling. I look at it as, cool, I have a one-up on you. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, when, you know, you are able to play an instrument or do something or have a piece of knowledge that the superiors in your life as like a student or anything mm -hmm. which I guess would be your professors or teachers or whatever they are don't have yeah like yeah it is it's it's humbling and it's it's like a certain aspect of wow I'll respect them more because they respect me because I have something they can't do yeah yeah unfortunately for me it came more in the form of haha you can't do this <laughs> I got one up on you yeah I was I was like that yeah, I, I mean, we, to to your credit, we're all like that in a way. True, I true. Mean, we all get a little little uh, tickle out of yeah. being able to do things that other people can't. Oh, absolutely. That, which is why that's a lot of musicians are so literally why I'm arrogant. In, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> literally why I'm in the field of choice that I went into is because I liked knowing more than most of yeah. my friends. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a good. It's a yeah. Which is funny because I, I'll sit down with people and I always say like the first thing is like. I don't know that much, and I mean that. Like, I don't mean that in like a sense of like I'm trying to look fish for comp like compliments. Like, yeah. I'm serious. I don't know that much in the big scheme of things. Yeah. But it's weird that I got into what I wanted to do, like the management side of things, because mm -hmm. I liked knowing a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. How do you think in a composer's kind of mind? Because I've written songs. I know a lot mm -hmm. of songwriters. Songwriting is very, uh, very flat. It's like point A, point B. You're going to tell a story. It's pretty easy to do because you have words and four chords. Yeah. But I've always felt like with composing a piece of music, you have to think much more um, uh, much more vertical, much more because um, there's so much going on. Sort of, sort of like like writing, a, like in a creative writing class, yeah. like writing a, a story or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Like a, like a suspense story where you have like a lot of different things working together to a climax that yeah and i guess mate like drawing out those emotions like i would not know how to draw to tell a story and draw out emotions without using a language yeah 
of some form, mm-hmm. you know? Even songs that I listen to that aren't in English, if they mm-hmm. have words to them, like, yeah. you can kind of follow Which the story. Which is the great thing about music. It is. It's great. Yeah. It's great. And, yeah. like, I've definitely heard, you know, pieces of music with no words or lyrics that, that move you. That move me. Mm-hmm. But I always kind of wrap the song up going, damn, they did that without saying anything, you know? Mm. So, what are your, how do you think like that? Um... In, like, an antithesis to songwriting, you know, it's probably not that much different than songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, your your lyrics are just notes. So maybe that's more the, the where the, where the sort of mindset sort of changes, where you have to sort of, sort of think of something you want to communicate. Because you're still trying to communicate emotions, mm-hmm. just like when you're writing a song. Yeah. And so in, in the mix of all that, you're... You're trying to communicate emotions through just notes, and so so it's it, it's probably more along the lines of just I don't know it's 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 weird because when I'm sitting there writing half the time it's improvisation, okay. um, and it's not I I mean you go back and you make edits mm-hmm. because just like songwriting you want everything to be a complete thought yeah you want to say something. Mm-hmm. worth listening to mm-hmm. um but but it's it's a lot of just sitting there and kind of having a conversation with people who aren't there so going through the emotions in your mind and just seeing yeah. what flows to the keys yeah exactly i mean mm-hmm. i i'm not a great singer and so a lot of the times when i'm playing a melody i am like i guess pretending i'm singing that melody okay um hmm. and and or like if I could sing, that's what I would sing. Yeah, basically. Huh. Um, and I think where you really kind of branch away from from the mindset of songwriting is that with songwriting, you you're sitting there most likely with you know either a group of musicians if you're doing it with more than one instrument, or it's just you and your guitar, piano, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so there's just like this this simplicity. And what you're trying to say, but with like composition, there's there's like this other aspect where you can translate it to different groups. Hmm. So really, it's 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 more detailed storytelling. You can go way more in depth. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's I would say what you were trying to get out with the composer's mindset. Yes. Yeah. It's that desire for more control over the tone of what you're saying Mm -hmm. because i mean the the way singer songwriters market themselves is that they have a specific sound yeah or they have a specific yeah for their yeah Mm -hmm. um their style yeah yeah and that they execute it you know more distinctly than than others Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of like how as a singer songwriter you pitch yourself but like as a composer you do the exact opposite you say Hmm. You know, like, this is the diversity of what I can do. Um, yeah. You know, you, you still have a style, but but there, as far as sound... You go all over the place. Yeah, yeah, you hmm. or, or you should. So really, opinion. you have more freedom as a composer than you would as a stereotypical singer-songwriter. Yeah, or maybe you're, you're more aware of that freedom yeah. than the typical hmm. singer-songwriter. Okay. Whereas, I mean... It, singer-songwriter they could if they wanted to 
they could, you know, orchestrate a lot more with their music. Yeah, most of them just don't go that deep. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, it's might, fine. Yeah, yeah, it might communicate exactly what they need to without mm-hmm. have you know without having to have mm-hmm. uh, more instruments in it. Yeah. But yeah, with a composer, you're you're writing mostly for other people um, to play it, and mostly for different music like musical instruments. Yeah. Um, hmm. And so the the mindset really comes into play as to just the texture of everything. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Good. And that's like, that's the main thought process is, is texture. Yeah. Like what textures am I creating with, with this instrumentation? And it, I mean, it doesn't matter how small or big, if it's a, you know, if it's a duet or like an orchestra or, you know, or quartet, the, it's all about the texture. Yeah. I love the term texture when referring to music. Yes. I don't know why. It's one of those terms no. that I... It's very precise. I, yes. Mm-hmm. It's exactly to... It is. It, yeah. it means what it means. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. You said something interesting in there, which was you don't think of yourself as a very good singer, which means you end up composing what you would want to sing. Do you think that you're... How do I word this question? Do you think that some of the best composers that we listen to today from any generation or any time frame got there and composed some of the most iconic pieces of music because they had something that they thought hindered them from doing something else in the musical realm? Like, do you think, you know, name a composer. John Williams. Okay. Do you think John Williams scored some of those in great move? Like, would we watched a movie last night that he scored, uh, yeah, Saving Private Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that we have John Williams scoring Saving Private Ryan in some of these iconic movies because he at one point thought, I'm not a good enough singer to be a singer-songwriter? I don't That's know. That's an interesting question. Yeah. It's a weird question. It, I but, like, do you think that... pretty... I guess basically my question would be, do you think that something that a musician or a storyteller, rather, considers a hindrance, like maybe not being able to sing results in them composing these grand pieces of music because they in their head think, oh, I can't do it with lyrics? Yeah, I mean, Beethoven composed some of his best works because he was going deaf. Hmm, good point. And Great after, follow-up to that question. After immediately. he was going yeah. mm-hmm. um, I mean, composers, I mean, historically, whenever a composer is sort of faced with a challenge, mm-hmm. like Prokofiev, who was a famous Russian composer um, during the sort of communist uh, revolution, he was forced to write very specifically hmm. for the communist regime. So it kind of shaped his sound at the time. Yeah, they. it was a very scary time where, as a composer, um, and this actually happened to him once, if you're sitting there and I'm pretty sure it was stolen, my history isn't very good. Um, I won't fact check you. But <laughs> if he's sitting there listening to your ballet and he gets up and he walks out, you're you're f- afraid for your life, basically. Huh. And that's that's the kind of pressure that was put on composers to, to sound yeah. a certain way. And and within the communist ideal, it, w- it was more of like you... If you sound like a formalist, then you're not a communist, and and be, because the whole communist 
idea is, is we're all this one machine, you know, working together yeah. for the motherland. Yeah. Um, but like to be a formalist, now that that was a term that they used mm-hmm. to describe like music outside. Um, that was sort of, I guess we would refer to it as world music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to sound like that would be unpatriotic. Yeah. And, and un- to the point where you would have to fear for your life. Yeah, yeah. If if the wrong people, or yeah, if if the wrong people didn't like what you put out or thought it was in any way um, against the communist goal, and so write. I mean, writing in that context, you already have a lot of barriers yeah. keeping you down. But um, I'm sure he composed some amazing pieces of music. Oh my gosh, he he was insane. Yeah. So that hindrance almost brought forth some yeah. amazing, amazing songs, you know? Yeah, so. ex- I mean, and that's sort of, I think that's a beauty of music that people don't really see, mm-hmm. especially music students, because as music students, you're, or as a music student, you're forced to do these projects, um, that have rules and restrictions mm-hmm. and your whole life music has been this this free open mind yeah whatever you want yeah. yeah it is it is what it what you intend it to be yeah um and so to put rules and restrictions on it is almost this horrible perversion of this beautiful hmm. thing um and so you'll get a lot of music students who just will push back so much on the theory and and the education uh, to the point of dropping out. And I mean, there are other reasons why why certain musicians drop out of music school. It's yeah. certainly not because uh, of, of this of, one thing. Yeah, yeah. But, but I have seen a lot of discouragement. Yeah. Well, that's an excellent point. I mean, I've definitely, I mean, music student for two semesters, wasn't cut out for it. But I remember thinking in, in theory classes, why are there so many rules? Yeah. But I, you've, I've never thought of it the way that you just thought of it in that sense of, in my brain, music has always been a free, do-whatever-you-want thing. Yeah. So it is. It, it does seem unusual. I mean, it makes sense mm-hmm. why there are things like theory, you know, obviously. Yeah. But it is. It's it's It, it does seem like, like a restraint. Yeah. So that's an interesting and way it, to think of it. Yeah. And, but, but we, like, those restraints can lend themselves to a whole different... To something uh, amazing. ...avenue yeah. of creativity. I mean... That's an excellent point. I mean, I know some, I know some amazing songwriters who have written their best work when they say, "I'm gonna write something using two chords." Yeah. You know, I'm gonna write something using just, you know, this. I I can't speak in music terms, but I'm gonna write something using just this, you know, one weird thing. Yeah. And yeah. They come up with an amazing piece of work. Yeah, so. and I mean, like Bach, who you know, one of the most famous composers of all time. This the whole style that he was writing in was built around rules uh, like counterpoint which is what he wrote in um is is like this this very mechanical way of thinking about music it's very mm-hmm. mathematical but he he took it and just did all these amazing creative things with it yeah and so rules and music Aren't they lend themselves to something greater? Yes. Really? Hmm. Yeah. It's almost like, I mean, this might get a little philosophical, <laughs> but it's like the laws we follow as a society, you hmm. know. Um, 
and how those laws don't restrict us they make from us life. better as a whole yeah they they yeah. yeah they don't restrict us from life but they lend us to a life of freedom in a sense good comparison um, but yeah hmm. so and it's hard for us to see that especially as young creative musicians. people who just want to yeah you know which is partly due to like some of the mindsets that came out of the romantic period a mm-hmm. hundred years ago um, where people started to view music as this divine gift and that composers and musicians could think on this, this next level of yeah yeah this this extraterrestrial plane <laughs> I mean like they really thought that yeah uh, composers Crazy. Were going, yeah were going around just kind of thinking that they had this yeah. contact with the divine that was just yeah. Uh, and I mean that's not I mean we know now that that's not true at all but at the um, time yeah and, no reason not to believe it yeah and when you when you do that it, it just kind of opens the door to you know like to the whole idea that art is art you yeah. know that, that a toilet in a museum by a famous sculptor <laughs> is you know half a million dollars yeah. but a toilet in your bathroom is you know barely yeah. worth 50 bucks I mean that's that's where you get that whole idea um, interesting but yeah restrictions and rules within music can be really fun music Um, should have rules yes yes it should Hmm. and i mean physically there are reasons why those rules exist oh yeah absolutely. you you know like uh, as as far as the acoustics and the physics of everything goes Mm -hmm. and and the great thing about knowing all these rules of theory and counterpoint and and harmony is is that when you're composing a piece and you hit this problem half the time or more than half the time nine times out of ten it's because you're trying to go against one of those just common practice rules Mm -hmm. and i mean sometimes you want that specific sound but if you i mean definitely if you don't want that sound and it's bothering you all as a composer all you do is you think okay what basic theory am i ignoring right yeah now? what rules am i breaking yeah and and then you you f- you fix it according to the rule and it'll i mean it'll work it, itself out it, it really will yeah um man it goes right back to the analogy you said of just living as humans in a society with laws yeah think about it you know yeah if your life's kind of going to shit look at what yeah. rules or laws you're breaking yeah you know? it is it's an amazing comparison that's a very unique and different way i've never thought of things like that but it's really cool yeah so i'm 16 year old mitchell and i'm interested in composition who do i listen to i'm brand i'm all right i'm gonna go even younger i'm 10 year old mitchell i know nothing i have spotify at my ready who do i listen to to get into composition if i'm interested in it oh Give me your. I know there's hundreds. Yeah. Give me your I mean, top. Uh, give me your top three, and give me a quick little reason for each of those top three. Okay. So they don't have to be in order, like three to one, just three in general. Three. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know I'm putting restraints yeah, on the number. Yeah. You, you can go four. You can go four. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I uh, just know we could be here until five o'clock this right, evening if you right. name all of them. <laughs> um, Vivaldi. Ravel. Okay. Um, Al- Alexander Desplat. I can never pronounce his name right. And let's go Howard Shaw. Okay. 
So Vivaldi, because he was one of my first loves. Mm-hmm. Um, what era is he from? He is the Baroque period. Okay. And he composed a lot for string uh, ensembles. Mm-hmm. And so he's very accessible even now, uh, especially to like a younger audience who might be resistant to classical music. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still accessible because of our like attachment to string orchestras. Mm-hmm. which has partly to do with some of the history of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but we still, we, we love the sound of strings, and I mean, that's all he composed for, basically. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's accessible, and it's beautiful. And Chopin, because, I mean, he was just uh, a master at, like, just chromaticism and melodies. And everybody I, I mentioned, I'm going to say is a master of melodies. Just going to yes, that right there. Yes, that's why they're on the top four. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And he just, he pioneered so much uh, in technique, um, specifically with piano, but also with composition. And you can kind of hear his influence of sort of chromaticism bleeding over into sort of jazz musical terminology. Mm -hmm. And then Alexander Desplat, uh, he's a French composer, which is why I can't pronounce his name. Yeah. And he... Did Grand Budapest Hotel? Oh, all right. Um, and uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, he did. He also did some of the Harry Potter. I think oh, he wow. did the last couple of Harry Potters. Can't remember what else he did, but he's great just because of his. He's got a very unique sound, mm-hmm. and he still uses acoustical orchestras as well as sort of the electronic soundscape that a lot of composers are getting into. Nice. Um, but he kind of still relies heavily on that acoustical yeah. atmosphere. Which is probably kind of rare in 2018. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Especially with the... Um, New age for composers. The, the age of Hans Zimmer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Howard Shaw, because he's just... I mean... I would put him on a level as John Williams, although his notoriety is not um, on mm-hmm. the same level. Um, but his way of using orchestras and his orchestration is just really, really, um, is done really well, mm-hmm. especially within a cinematic reference. And I yeah. realize I also said Ravel, so I actually gave you five. All right. Um <laughs> Uh, but Ravel goes all goes back to like the early twentieth century, and he was also a great orchestrator. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to be a composer, you have to be a good orchestrator. And the only way to be a good orchestrator is to study great orchestra. Yeah. But yeah, Ravel. He, I mean, he was a another French composer, and he would take a lot of his piano pieces and he would orchestrate them. Hmm. So studying him is is kind of made easy where you can listen to his piano pieces, and you can actually get the scores for free. And then take them into a bigger context yeah. and listen to and them. Yeah, you, you listen to the piano yeah. version, and then you go and you listen to how he orchestrated mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. he did with everything, which is the essence of being a composer in the broader sense. Yeah. And then when you're composing for cinema, it, it kind of narrows down to orchestration as well as sort of underplaying another narrative. Yeah. But yeah, that would be my top five. I love that there's people from today and however far back, you know, some of those dudes. It's, it's, I think it's rare to find a style or a genre of music that, you know, if I sat here and asked a singer songwriter, 
for your top five songwriters. They might go back to the 60s, mm-hmm. but you're rare to find, maybe the 50s, but you're rare to find someone who says anything past that, you know? Yeah. So I think that's interesting. But what are your thoughts on um, the current state of classical music and composition and 2018 as far as that style and genre of music? I used to be really depressed about that. Uh, I, used I can to, understand why. Yeah, I'm. I mean, in, in in a sense, there's there's some worry because a lot of orchestras are kind of uh, scrambling for money and they're mm-hmm. scrambling for for support. Um, and I I used to be just kind of completely discouraged because it really seemed like everything I loved and everything I was going for was sort of a yeah. hundred years out of outdated. Well, let's be honest. Um, we live in a world where, you know, yesterday was Friday. If I turned on New Music Friday, there's going to be the top five songs have two chords in them. And as long as you just put a heavy bass behind it, it's going to be popular. You yeah. know, it's We've stripped music down to how simple can it get Yeah. because we live in a world where you need simple to grab people's attention. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so when you com- take a complexity, style, like, will, yeah. complexity will give you, give people anxiety. Yeah. And that's the biggest yeah. issue. Yeah. Right so now. when you take like a classical piece of music or a modern day composition or something and throw it at them, it's like you'll just watch them sit in the audience and have a stroke, you know? Yeah. It's, so. Yeah. I can um, understand why it's terrifying. Yeah. And, but I mean, I. What gives you hope, I guess, is what I'm getting at. What gives you hope that. There's a lot of ways. To that, that classical music is still surviving. I mean, c- cinema is is the obvious, you know, example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of smaller groups that still su- support ensembles. And in each, in every major city, there's there's at least one composer yeah, collaborative and yeah. uh, deal. Um, and it's like. As you kind of search more for, for that sort of new age, classical scene, mm-hmm. um, it's still there. It's still very much alive. It's just not in the forefront. Yeah, it's not in the forefront. Um, but you all, you have a lot of really cool things happening. This one composer came and gave a talk in our comp seminar uh, like three years ago, and she was talking about how they. They did this sort of dance and orchestration performance where the dance was kind of pre-filmed, like all these moves in the dance were, um, and all the music was already scored. But what the musicians had in front of them were um, basically a bunch of iPads Hmm. that were all synced up, and the composer she was sitting there with her computer basically throwing up bits of music to the different sections hmm. in real time just, in real time yeah. and there were all these pre you know written sections of music but she would throw them up and they would play it until they were given something else hmm. and it would kind of correspond with this um, emotion of the dance yeah the, the, yeah the dance and everything so there was like an in area of free-flowing that's a very new way to do yes yeah and i mean like that's that sort of style is has kind of been around for a little while but technology has allowed us to put it in that sort of context context where it's kind of really new and different it's opened up a a door yeah it's and it's really cool and so a lot of 
there are a lot of things like that going on right now in composition and in classical composition. Uh, so there's, I mean, there's a lot still to do. And so, I mean, I'm not as depressed as I once was. Yeah, there's um, hope. Yeah, they and just... you have wonderful musicians like Ben Folds, who's oh, yeah. still trying, like he's... Bringing it to yeah. the limelight all the time. Yeah, and he's, mm -hmm. you know, just helping orchestras so much. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's still, there's still very much a spirit for that. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, it's weird because, I mean, I'm someone who doesn't consume that type of music on a daily basis, mm -hmm. but I still, if, if I had a conversation with someone, or even if this conversation had gone different and you said, no, it's dying, it'll be gone in 10 years, I get super bummed out about it. Mm -hmm. I don't even know why. I don't consume it on a daily yeah. basis. I'm part of the problem by yeah. not listening all the time. But when I do listen, I love it. Yeah. So it would. It's, it's weird. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's because it's a, it's a part, it's a smaller portion of a greater animal yeah. that we all love. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it gave us what we listen to today that, yeah. you know, even the stupid songs that are on the top 40 mm -hmm. that are, it's very simple. It, you trace that back, the influences of that music back far enough and you're going to get the greats who composed music in, mm -hmm. you know, 200 years ago. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, it's big picture to think about. Yeah, well, music Very is big a big picture. picture. Oh, absolutely. It, I, it's this, I used, you know, I you used, or we are used to thinking in music as sort of time periods. Mm -hmm. But I, it's just, it, it's this constant progressive phenomenon that we continually build upon. And, and each period of music I guess in my opinion, and this is where we again kind of get a little more philosophical, um, <laughs> doesn't necessarily die, quote unquote. It just sort of, and it's not this sort of reincarnation, it's just this bleeding over. Kind of evolves um, and into... Yeah, um, and just just grows. And it's just, it's just this big, wonderful snowball. Yeah, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to end this episode, we're going to make a second part two. Okay. But we're, I have a topic I want to get to. So okay. this has been Andrew Sears. Hey, Go hey. check him out and listen no to part two of this podcast next week.